Welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle, the host of the show, and today we're bringing you part four of our New Zealand Tourism Awards special. Well, hi everyone, and a very happy October to you all. Can you believe it? It's October already. I don't know where this year has gone, but I just want to send a very special shout out to our friends listening in from Auckland. And of course, now the Waikato, who are still battling through level three. And to those of you in other parts of the country, I hope your school holidays have got off to a good start and the locals are out in force supporting your businesses. Well, you may have noticed that Chambers isn't here today, but don't worry, she does join us for the interviews coming up shortly. But before we get into it, we've got a bit of housekeeping. We need to announce the winner of our Dark Sky Project Summit experience. Thank you to everyone who entered. It looks like there are quite a few of you heading down to the Mackenzie region for a holiday. And I will now draw the winner out of my little bowl here. So drum roll, please. And the winner is... Tracy Foden, congratulations. We know you'll love your summit experience at the Dark Sky Project. Enjoy that visit and drop us a line and let us know all about it. So now we also have the Dart River Adventures competition going and this is especially for you. Yes, you. It's super easy. Just jump on our website, destinatenz.com forward slash competitions and fill out the form to tell us your favorite episode of our podcast so far and why. We're loving hearing all of your reasons so far, but we know there's a lot more of you out there who haven't yet entered. And for those of you who've forgotten, the prize is a Funyak Safari for two, valued at $598 from our friends at Dart River Adventures. So who doesn't want to win that? What are you waiting for? Jump on the website now and let us know which is your favorite episode. It's easy. Okay, so back to the show. This week we're joined by two more amazing finalists and we decided to stick with just two this week as their stories were so entertaining and interesting we didn't want to cut them short. So first up we have a finalist in the Marsh Tourism Industry Champion Award, Matt Stenton. Having led multiple youth entrepreneurial programs and contributing to various steering groups, boards and government boards in New Zealand, Matt brings an exciting and diverse set of experiences. Matt's motto is simple, done well, and he demonstrates this with his incredible ability to create simple solutions for complex problems. Combined with his cheeky personality and ability to get stuff done, he's a master of cutting through the BS to get to the heart of the matter. Matt is known for his extensive network and international tourism and hospitality connections. In 2011, he helped shape Virgin Australia New Zealand by introducing their new service design methodology and establishing new ways to train the air crew. In late 2014, he was instrumental in delivering Gulfstream's 100th G650ER into service in New Zealand. Matt is currently the program director for Go With Tourism. And following on from Matt, we welcome Yoron Jungerjans from Dive to Dakaka. They are finalists in the Westpac Resilience and Innovation Award. 
Yaron is owner of Dive Tutakaka, Perfect Day and Lodge 9, a marine adventure company based in Tutakaka, Northland, and heading out to the Poor Knights Islands, any activity in, on or under at the best little marine reserve on the planet. A strong focus on the blue economy, the marine environment, leaving our rohe a better place than we found it, and acting as great ancestors are the driving forces behind Yaron and his business. These interviews are seriously good. So listen in until the end and please enjoy the show. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen in. And please share this with your colleagues and mates. Enjoy the show. Matewa. Okay, so it's fair to say that all of the guests that we have on the show are pretty special. But today we have a very special guest because it's an individual award, one of the finalists in the Marsh Tourism Industry Champion Award. Now, this award recognises an outstanding tourism professional who has been in the tourism industry workforce for more than 10 years. We're welcoming Matt Stenton from Go With Tourism. Kia ora, Matt. Welcome to the show. Kia ora, ladies. How are you going up there in level three Auckland? We're doing all right. We're doing all right. We're playing our part and we're using this time, well, the Go With Tourism team, to get on top of things to ensure that we're ready to go for that peak summer, which I'm just keeping positive for. Absolutely. Yeah, we've all got our fingers crossed for that, haven't we? So tell us a little bit about your career to date and where you started and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I think it's funny that I wasn't going to go for this award and then I sort of got convinced and then I forgot about it. And then what happened was a couple of days before uh, the team put the application in for the award, I actually got the application and started reading through it and actually started crying because my team had all individually written references about me and then had gone out to individual professionals in the industry And for me, I didn't start out in tourism and hospitality. This isn't where I started. I left school at 15. I'm a boy from Invercargill. I went and studied film and TV, came out and did a diploma in electronic multimedia, then went to New Zealand Broadcasting School. And TV was where everyone thought I would land. And I got burnt out in TV, went and became a secondary school teacher. Let me just say there, what was I thinking? But (laughs) I I went out and became a secondary school teacher, took my hat off. I did that for a year. And whilst I was doing that, a, a friend of mine who was a teacher with me really wanted to be a flight attendant and said, look, would you come along with me to a walking day just to support me? And look, the rest is history. I became a flight attendant within New Zealand and I did that for a good three years. Started out as a junior and then went out to being an in-flight airline concierge. Then I left because I thought that would be the cool thing to do in the middle of a recession. Not a good thing to do. (laughs) Uh, Went back and worked in TV and then ended up losing my job. Hopped on a a contract with P&O Cruises and worked with them for six months. Realized that working seven days, 14 hour days, every day is not the thing that I wanted to do. Came back and went and worked for Pacific Blue, who was transitioning into Virgin Australia. Mm -hmm. Then we did a partnership again with Air New Zealand, which was crazy. And then I started doing service delivery and I got flown to Virgin America and Virgin Atlantic and did service delivery flows and my world just started growing and I was like I really like this this is cool and then one day I got a funny phone call saying would I be interested in working in a private jet which I said do we have them in New Zealand it was actually <laughs> like a small town in boy like what the heck that's like what happens in Hollywood and the rest is history on that one for four mm. years I flew for a very wealthy family and we flew on a Gulfstream G650 
safety. We we got that into operation here in New Zealand under FAA regulations. So it was it was United States registered, mm-hmm. and that plane could fly from here to LA nonstop or from Hawaii to London nonstop. It was a wow. beautiful aircraft, and I became the nanny, the personal chef, the <laughs> therapist, the retail shopper, the concierge, the chauffeur. Everything is what I became in that role. And at the end of that, I I was like, right, it's time for me to leave again. And I actually left the tourism industry and went into entrepreneurship running the Young Enterprise Scheme. Okay. And then got an awesome opportunity to go to San Francisco and work with like Facebook and Google and all them. And one of the people that run the Renaissance Leadership Group said, you need to start your own business. So I took it literally and resigned from my job whilst I was in San Francisco and started my own consulting company. And that is how Go With Tourism came about. Literally, Auckland Tourism Events and Economic Development reached out to my company because I had had worked for AT before and said, we really think you'd be the best project manager for this. Are you interested? I actually wasn't interested. I'll be completely honest. As Oh, there's a lot of perception issues there. There's a lot of issues. I don't know. I want to touch this. And between Steve Armitage and Pam Ford, they convinced me. And the rest is history. You know, um, three months after taking that role, we launched Go With Tourism in 2019. And around about 12 weeks after that, we were awarded $5.2 million to go national. So wow. pretty crazy. But yeah, not conventional for me where I've ended up. No, not an amazing all. story. <laughs> totally amazing story. And I'm just trying to work out. So what's your current role? So my current role is program director at Go With Tourism. Um, and because I sit under Auckland Unlimited, I can't be like a CEO or anything because we have one of them. So yeah. our project is sort of out to the side and I get to have a really cool title. We, I have a, a wicked team of 11 people who literally make Go With Tourism what it is every day. Oh, and wow. tell us a little bit about what does that role encompass? Yeah, so look, Go With Tourism is uh, an initiative to build a better tourism hospitality workforce for New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And we do that through our online platform, which has like a Tinder for Tourism job connector. (laughs) It has a job search hub. It has a right fit quiz. It has the world of tourism. It has a knowledge hub. It has three key audiences, either as young people, as an educator, or as businesses. So we do that really, really well. And then my job is, and this is the way I always sort of explain it when I'm on stage or anything is I'm the conductor and I have the most amazing musicians in the world and they are playing the best music and all my job is to do is to ensure that we are kept on time and that we are all on the same page and that is my job. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Coming from a musical background myself I do know exactly what the conductor does so yes (laughs) it's a very important role. Certainly is pivotal. So what training and professional development have you undertaken throughout your career, Matt? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Obviously, my background, my degree, my postgraduate, my diploma, my national certificate, that's all in, in media and communication. So that's where that is. But then, of course, it wasn't until I started doing this role in Go With Tourism, I started to realize, whoa, there are so many skills that I've earned over the years from obviously uh, doing little small stints like this stuff that I kept out in that little overview of what I've done, but I've done work for Qatar Airways as well. But yeah. every step in my way, like I've got security, I've got project management from working in New Zealand and, and Virgin Australia, I've got HR papers, I've got dangerous goods, I've got advanced first aid certificates, what? I've got budgeting and financial literacy advice so therefore I can do basics of accounting Mm -hmm. and then when I ran entrepreneurship programs of course then I started doing conflict resolution management and then I started doing entrepreneurial and entrepreneurship and business planning and then I did Prince 2 management then advanced Prince 2 management so (laughs) 
I kind of have like this kitty of things that I just pull into when I want to. It's kind yeah. of weird, but I'm a big believer in if I don't know something, I love to just delve into it and learn whilst I go. And if I need more education, I lean into friends or I start reading. I read yeah. so much. Do you ever sleep? Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm <laughs> not a great sleeper. I've never been a great sleeper. So I probably get about six, seven hours a night, but I do, I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I just get ideas. So I write things down. But yeah, last night I had an amazing eight hours. Oh, that's nice. No, good to could have been the red. Could have been the red wine. <laughs> I was going to say, was that finally being able to have a KFC burger or something? Actually, I did have McDonald's, yes. Oh, there we go. The Secrets world has out. come back to semi-normal. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, now, Matt, you sound like a super high achiever. What is your biggest achievement, though? What, how has that impacted on the businesses that you've worked in? What do you think is, is your biggest achievement? Oh, the people I've given opportunities to. Mm-hmm. I think for nice. me, being a person who left school at 15, coming from a small town of Invercargill, coming out at a very young age and going through challenges and then being in managerial roles or leadership roles, I've always had people go, oh, is he the right person? Is he too chilled? And so when we did go with tourism, I wanted to open doors for other people who had never had doors open for them or didn't have an opportunity to grow. And my biggest opportunity, the the biggest thing that I'm proud about is every single member of my team has stepped up to the challenge and beyond. My event producer was always an event coordinator and she was never going to get the opportunity to step up to an event producer, but I knew she could be so much more than that. So I grabbed her. Mm-hmm. My comms and marketing manager was always just an exec level, was never an opportunity to step up. My operations manager is 24 and I stole him from a, a student startup where he was working his butt off and getting paid nothing, but also not getting the benefits of it. So that kind of stuff. All my regional coordinators who are incredible, credible people who run our school programs, all taken from different things. So the people, but then the people we've helped, you know, like there's incredible stories that go with tourism where we've just gone the extra mile because this industry deserves it. But actually we need people like our champions out there that just take people on a journey and make sure that they are landed, onboarded and taken on a journey. And if something happens, that we navigate them to their next journey for them. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. And you talk about champions there. So nice flow on to the next question of what have you done to champion your sector in the wider tourism industry? I think that's a good question. Sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> so I suppose like I'll, I'll preface that by I'm up against parents and caregivers every day who believe that their young person should not be exploring tourism or hospitality as a viable career or 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 to even come into it and 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 work into it and then I'm up against the media who right now and and look they have reasons to do it have a negative light on what tourism hospitality Mm -hmm. is offering or the position that we're in and so I champion every day staying a little bit positive for our industry I champion every day that the future will be better and that we will be more resilient and we will be more prepared. I champion that the young people that is currently in secondary school should have the opportunity to do it as an achievement standard, not a unit standard. It does need to be recognized as a university entrance. I champion that our uh, unions and associations 
all need to have a unified voice because they don't right now. And I champion that there are so many more opportunities within our industry across the nine sectors than there are in any other industry. And you can move so quickly. However, what we've got to do is ensure that our businesses are onboarding, upskilling, reskilling, reinvesting, and paying correctly to ensure that we retain our talent for the future. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Can I just say, Matt, thank you. Yes. (laughs) It's great to know that you're out there doing this because I've had a 25 plus year career in tourism and it wasn't something that I thought I would ever do. I kind of fell into tourism and we've talked about that on previous episodes and Lisa's a little bit the same where, but we love it. We love this industry and it isn't just about low minimum wage, low productivity that the media likes to talk about. We've all had really fruitful careers, really amazing experiences. And I think the knowledge and the skills that you learn while you're in the tourism industry, I would struggle to name another industry that would even come close. Agree. Agree. And, and, and I think the one thing we've got to be really realistic about, and I think sometimes our universities and, and, and private training establishments, it's not that they mean to do it, they're, they're wanting to sell the world of what is next. Yep. But let's be really realistic. We all start off somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start off as a program director. You know, I started out as Matt Stenton working <laughs> at Woolworths <laughs> on $6.72. <laughs> you always remember your first pay. Um <laughs> But we all started somewhere. And in my journey, I've gone from incredible salaries to taking pay cuts because actually the opportunity is more than actually what is paying. A lot of people think that when I worked on the private jet, it was a lot of money. I will be completely honest. It was $45,000 a year. But $45,000 a year, and I spent nine months out in New Zealand, and I traveled the world, and I Mm -hmm. stayed in places you would only ever imagine. I felt like a bloody celebrity at times. And I got to meet some pretty cool people like Oprah Winfrey. So like, to be honest, (laughs) 45K to get to have that little moment where I can say that, totally happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that is true. Like that's um, definitely something I've considered in my career path is opportunity over salary. And also, cause like we talked with Lauren as well, that sometimes when you want to grow your career, you have to go, you have to move towns or cities or, and that can be big decisions to make. And some people don't want to do that. So yeah, trying to compare yourself, it was the conversation we were having there, but yeah, it's true. You don't necessarily need to take the top paying job to have the most amazing job. And, and, you know, Loz is an amazing experience. Great friend of mine. We actually worked at AT together when Mm -hmm. I was running the entrepreneurship program and I saw her go through that time and change and look at where that incredible wahine is now. Like getting to see her this year at Trends, I was in awe of everything she has become and she is Mm -hmm. doing and she is championing. She is amazing. Yeah, Yeah, she certainly is. So Matt, what's your leadership style and how do you think you've evolved as a leader over time? Oh, good question. So I've had a lot of bad managers, (laughs) 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 especially in TV. Um, (laughs) And so I always never wanted to be that. And so I believe I'm really different. I don't believe in hours. I don't put hours on my team. Mm-hmm. Or probably in trouble for saying some of this stuff, considering you know, I'm technically employed by Auckland Unlimited. But <laughs> I don't believe in hours. Yeah. I believe in output versus hours. Yeah. I believe in having the freedom to be honest. So we have a very cool policy 
within the Go With Tourism team, which is if you're not feeling up to it today, let me know. Hey, actually not feeling it today. Can I take the day off? Now that means people don't take the piss because they mm. actually know they can lean into it when they can. Yep. I have full belief in my team and don't micromanage. I hate micromanage. Mm. I am there to allow the team to fall, but allow them to know that I'm there to also pick them back up when they need to. Oh, but no. don't own them for doing it. Um, mm. Actually celebrate it and move mm. on very quickly. I love failure because it's first attempt in learning and everyone must do it. Mm-hmm. I love someone to get told no, because that means next opportunity and a new way of looking at something. And I suppose I have an open door. We will do anything we possibly can, or I can do anything that I possibly can, can do to assist you on your next journey. And we have real open, courageous conversations. And in the near three years with this team, I've not lost one person, but we've started to have honest conversations about where would you like to go next? Mm-hmm. And I know they can't do that within Go With Tourism. Mm-hmm. So where do they want to go next and how can I help them do that? So mm-hmm. I lead by example. I try and do my best to ensure that I'm not being what my old managers have been to me before. Yeah. But also <clears throat> I fight the battles that I don't want them to fight. So therefore they stay passionate and they love what they do because government can be quite hard at times with the red tape. So I like to remove the red tape from their day-to-day. And Mm -hmm. my job is to basically bulldoze the shit out of that (laughs) and ensure that they can can move at pace. (laughs) Wow, that sounds amazing. It's incredible how much we learn from bad managers, isn't it? Yeah, we... I had, so I'm dyslexic and have parts uh, of, of my brain and how I think are dyspraxic. So basically everything that I've ever done in my life has always been a little bit of a challenge and they never picked up on it until my degree. I think very differently. I work very fast. I'm a get shit done. I like to simplify real big things that like those academics love to use as jargon. So I'll be like, oh, so you just actually mean this. That's kind of what I like to do, not dumbing it down, but I believe if everyone's on the same page, which is simple, done well, then we all can move at great pace. But if we overcomplicate it, and we use big words and we do all of that stuff, which my dyslexia just absolutely hates, then we find ourselves in this, this world where people will go, oh, well, maybe I can't do that with that. Everyone can do something. Everyone can learn something. Let's guide them the right way. Mm. Wow. And do you have any advice to the young leaders coming up and through the industry now? I do. It's not going to be easy this next 12 to 24 months. However, what I mean by easy is you're not just going to come in and you're not going to move up as quickly as you would have prior to COVID or before COVID. And now that we're coming into the after after distancing world (laughs) uh, of 2022, hopefully, there are opportunities that are going to present themselves. There are going to be many of them. Mm -hmm. Loyalty is something that tourism and hospitality operators really, really want. And I know as a Gen Z generation and as this new generation alpha coming through, you want to move around because it pays more, but find the best fit for you mm-hmm. and the best fit that's going to guide you in your journey to where you want to go next, because jumping around may not be the best thing for you. Mm, brilliant advice. Mm. Yeah. Hey, um, now, Matt, just before we finish up, a little birdie has told us that you're finishing up with Go Tourism at the end <laughs> of the year. Are you able to tell us what you'll be doing next? Yeah, so I always said that I would do three years with Go With Tourism, and I've 
I've done that and, and just a little bit more. And if you ever look at my CV, it's very similar. I sort of stay in, <laughs> stay in a spot for about three years. Mm-hmm. My main reason is I, I call it like the Labrador. Um, a Labrador, you can tell off and it will always come back with its tail wagging, loving you, ready for the next treat, doesn't care. That's me. However, the Labrador's a little bit tired and um, getting a little bit old. And so for that reason, I can feel that in my body. The best thing for me to do for Go With Tourism, because it's got so much traction and it's moving at pace, and for the team, and also to give people in the team to move up, is to pass the baton on. And so complete honesty, I don't know what I'm doing next. (laughs) Having a rest. (laughs) And I kind of like that. Do I start a new business? Do I, what do I do? So what I've done is I've worked with an alchemist because my board gave me one, which has been amazing. And what I've learned is my purpose in life is people. Mm -hmm. And if I was to pass away tomorrow, or going very morbid, but if I was to pass away tomorrow, (laughs) I would want whoever is standing up there to go, oh my God, he cared about people. He gave people opportunities. He took his shirt off his back for people. He provided opportunities. He was a person who thought about equitable opportunities, not equality. He didn't champion being gay. He championed being everything. And so for me, for my next journey, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for what do I want that to be? And um, it's not just me leaving, actually. It's my operations manager and myself. We're both leaving together. And we kind of come past and, and parcel. But I am very confident that not only from within my team, but actually from people within our industry, that we have the next champion to step up and take on what I have been doing and probably do it differently, which is what it needs, because it does yeah. need to be reinvented again. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, thanks, Matt. Obviously, we'll be chatting with you soon as you're also up for a team award in the industry collaboration category. So listeners, keep an eye out for that one next week. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much for that interview. Yeah. Thank Thank you you so much. Talk to you soon. The Resilience and Innovation Award recognizes a business that exemplifies innovative and creative problem solving alongside operational business excellence. This business has a clear vision and mission, operates on sound business practices and has effective strategies in place to increase productivity. We're heading north of Auckland now to take you to the stunning Tutakaka coast and we're joined by one of the Westpac Resilience and Innovation finalists, Yuron from Dive Tutakaka. Kia ora, Yaron, and welcome to the show. Kia ora, team. Pleased to be here. So, Yaron, describe the problem you needed to solve or the reason you needed to increase productivity and the solution you implemented. Oh, that's a big question. We always want to increase productivity, of course. Uh, um, COVID was a real sort of uh, bolt out of the blue. I don't think anybody had anything planned like this in the in their strategic plans or anything like it so with COVID, uh, the borders closed and we lost 50 percent of our clientele so in the past we've always taken uh, people from probably 30 or 40 different countries probably about eight thousand people from overseas and a similar number from the domestic market and that just overnight more or less dried up it, it, i say more or less because there were a number of people that couldn't get back for a while, so they still hang around, and and, and that actually was, was was good. But this particular winter, there is nobody from overseas, so it's all domestic. As you know, within the tourism uh, market, we've always been trying 
to sort of deal with seasonality. And then uh, we had all these strategies nationwide to sort of build the shoulder seasons, have specific marketing uh, strategies to sort of make sure that the summer was actually extended and on both sides so that that winter period was a, a very short period. Well, what happened after COVID is we have seasonality on steroids. And so we have got a summer season. Bang! Yeah, we have a whole lot of staff. And then it is winter and no more clients. Last year with the um, little lockups we had, it was all new to us. Uh, we found that as soon as we got out of that, uh, the Kiwi market is very keen to come back and, and sort of compensated for being locked up by wanting to go out to sea, which is not, not a bad idea to do. So that was sort of a nice compensation. We all thought when we looked at 2021, start of 21, everything will be normal and okay again. Mm. <laughs> However, Delta arrived around the corner and whack, bang, you know, we ain't seen nothing yet. And so for us in Northland, uh, what happens is when Auckland uh, catches a cold, we are sick in bed because there's nobody. Nobody's coming north. They can't come north. We're on an island, the Pacific yeah. Island, which is not bad, but it's you know, not very good for productivity and things like that. So coming back to your question, productivity with uh, a market that stops and starts is, is a very tricky thing to do. And uh, yeah, for us, uh, we had to reinvent ourselves, basically, after COVID, because uh, basically you can't make a fish, and we're into fishing, you can't make a fish climb a tree. Yeah? <laughs> so you can't sort of say, oh, let's pivot, and we'll go and run tool buses or anything like that. Now, boats don't go on wheels. <laughs> you, know, it's, it's a, you have a fleet of boats, you have to make it work. And, and we were able, uh, very successfully, to sort of... Uh, pivot in, in the direction of, of more the um, domestic New Zealand market and the Auckland market with regards to experiencing um, an, a fantastic marine environment like we've got at the Four Nights Islands. It's world-class, it's outstanding, and we managed to sort of have uh, particular packages that made it easier for families to sort of come along, and word of mouth worked really well, and, and just the destination has had over the last 20 years so much uh, uh, what do you say, uh, awareness put to it and on top of that, and that's a negative and a positive, but the difference between the marine life at the Poor Nights Islands Marine Reserve and what you find on our coast has increased because we are depleting our ocean and we are overfishing it and we're killing it off. And therefore, when we have a spot where you see some fish, people say, oh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so it makes the attraction more attractive. But actually, I'd rather would have seen it that yeah, the whole marine environment would increase in population of fish and diversity, but it's, we're going in the wrong direction. Mm. I don't think I've answered any of your questions. I just start raving, but... <laughs> That's okay. Um, in terms of your community support, how did you go about getting them all, of, all, all on board? Well, every, every, everybody's in the same walker, you know, yep. so uh, everybody realised that and, and, and a lot of Kiwis sort of, uh, yeah, in, from the wider community, couldn't go overseas mm -hmm. and, and so they wanted to do outstanding things and, and, and we've worked with our community, with our schools, with, with our locals with, uh, for a long, long period of time. So there's a, an, a very underlying, strong base of, of understanding and support. So, yeah, we support them. We supported our staff. We, uh, 
we made that as one of our priorities. Uh, rather than getting rid of our staff, we just uh, wanted to hold on to them because, yeah, we invested a lot in them and they mm. invested a lot in us. Yeah. And so we needed to get go forward together. So we, we've sort of just trying to think all the things we've done with community. We, we, of course, as a business, we're not only operating as a business business, but we're very much involved in the tourism industry and in the marine environment. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a focus on we're part and parcel of uh, developing ecotourism in the blue economy. We work with different universities on that and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we work with the Sustainable Seas National Sea uh, National Science Challenge. We worked with DOC and the WWF, um, the Tourism Futures Task Force. We were involved in just to sort of try to uh, uh, destination management plan group that sort of come up on one of these new little things. We we try to look at the bigger picture all the time, mm. uh, and that sort of rubs on the business in a positive way as well as um, it's our raison d'etre. Yeah? As a business, we're not just a business. Mm-hmm. Um, very much so, we want to make an impact, a positive impact on the marine environment and talk to people about it. We, it's, at times, it's really nicely described in a few different ways that we, at the moment we, we suffer under the COVID wave and we all go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah? And it is, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, it's devastating for a whole lot of businesses. It's mm-hmm. really tricky to keep your business going. And uh, so that's hard work. But that's a, one of the big ways. Next one, which we sort of push away a little bit and trying to look at, is, is um, climate change. You know, it is in many, many ways going to affect us. And even though COVID is affecting us, we still try to address that that bigger issue for through the things we're doing. But the one that really worries me is the one that comes after that is the uh, the biodiversity collapse. Mm-hmm. You know, we're starting to yeah. see it everywhere and. And as divers, we are the eyes of people underwater. And so we have seen the decline and it is shocking. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, on, in so many ways, it's so that worries us, but it also motivates us in our business. And what is our raison d'etre? Um, it, it is a real strange little world. Now, let me illustrate it a little bit. Yeah, I'll go too many times sideways. Sorry about that. But okay, just <laughs> recently we went to planet Mars. Yeah, we spent $3 billion going to planet Mars. I think that's fantastic. That's great. It's a lot of money, but that's really smart. So we put this little probe on, on the planet. And what we're doing it for is to find any evidence of uh, uh, life that may have been there, uh, microbial life, anything. And we're digging mm-hmm. away and spending all that money on that. Meanwhile, on planet Earth, yeah, we're spending yeah. $30 billion yeah. on a commercial fishing industry. This is a subsidy on a $70, mil, a $70 billion industry. We spent $30 billion as subsidies to wipe out our ocean. Yeah. So in one end, we go over to another planet to look for microbial life. Mm. At the same time, we're spending billions and billions of dollars in wiping out our environment. So it yeah. sort of doesn't make sense. And the real funny thing with that is, on Mars, that little probe we sent over there, it's got 19 cameras and tells us what's happening there very clearly. Meanwhile, in New Zealand, we cannot put cameras on our fishing boats because the technology yeah. is not there. I know, think, hey, guys, you know, what are we doing? Yeah. So that's some of the things why we are motivated to be in business and to sort of address those issues and to try and find a way forward. Because yeah. 
being a business is really exciting. It's fun. Yeah. All sides of business is real fun, but it's got to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, if you're going to do something, yeah, you might as well try and do something good. Yeah? <laughs> and that's, that's, that motivates us. And that comes through when, when we sort of talk about communities that's a wider community, what we're sort of looking at. Coming back to your, your question, how are you with your <laughs> community? Our community is very wide. Yeah. We see it as a planetary community, not just our neighbours over here, but we're driven to sort of try and make a difference, wow. a positive. What more do you think can be done to help our oceans thrive oh, and oh, recover? I mean, I know that's probably so a, a never-ending. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and I'll give you a very... Small, small, little. Okay. In order to maintain a healthy biodiversity uh, ocean, we need to protect 30% of our oceans that don't take any fish, don't take nothing, 30% of our oceans worldwide. And that's now being accepted by most scientists Mm -hmm. and and by the United Nations, by a lot of others. Meanwhile, in New Zealand, where we're saying, oh, we're doing so well, and we're so into this, and climate change is our nuclear-free moment, blah, blah, blah. Really, uh, 0.4 of a percent in marine reserves. 0.4. Is that all? That is all, yeah. Wow. And the world is crying out saying, well, we need to protect this 30% by 2030, which is a really good goal. And and we need to do that. And and we want to push for that. But New Zealand is lagging behind so badly. And the fishing practices we have, uh, not very good with bottom trawling and all that kind of stuff. So what do we need to do? We need to get a whole lot more protection. And that benefits the biodiversity. It benefits the planet. It benefits the fish life. We'll be able yeah. to live far more healthy. And it benefits tourism in a big way. Mm, now yeah. people want to come out and see yeah. something, do something, explore this planet, not go yeah. over to in, in a little probe to Mars and try to find you know, some microbial life. We've got plenty of life over here, which is really, really fantastic. We're just yep. filling it up. We can't see it. If we were doing what we're doing in the ocean, if we were doing it on land and destroying whole loads of bush and stuff like that, people would say, you can't do that. Mm. But because it's happening underwater, people don't know. Yep. And the fishing industry will say, from, oh, no, no, it's all sustainable. It's all, yeah, it's all okay. We're doing a great job. And we're not. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so we need to do something about it. So that's the answer on your question. 30% yeah. by 2030 would be great instead of point four of a percent that we've got at the moment it's, oh, it's a scandal yeah that is that is scandalous actually i i asked that question because obviously there's a lot of talk about predator free new zealand so i just wondered where the balance was between the on land and and the oceans but clearly well, uh, on land in new zealand we've got 30 percent in national parks yeah so you'd think with that philosophy why not have 30 percent of our ocean in national parks national park, yeah. areas? It, yeah. it's it's sensible balance we just haven't sort of made enough noise or we're trying to make enough noise but there's still too much industry interest in carrying on and it's bluntly for profit that goes elsewhere to uh, maintain the practices that we've got under the guise of we're so sustainable and we're not when we talk about sustainability we try to do some more on that stuff as well yeah and then that's part and parcel as well and it never Five years ago, we set up a charging station over here for EVs. Oh, that's yeah? right. Yeah. And we've got an EV. And uh, since then, there's no, there's only one or two other EV stations where you can go to. You think if you want to change people's behavior, that you enable it by having a whole lot of EV stations everywhere. So it's easy. 
but we're yeah. running behind it so much. It's it's yeah, a bit upsetting. And mm-hmm. It's hard, and we've got little trucks that we run to our boats in order to sort of bring all the tanks to our boats. It's heavy gear. We need a little uh, diesel truck for that. I was trying to get a little electric sort of vehicle to do that kind of stuff, but it's not allowed to drive on the roads. Yeah. Because it's, oh. it hasn't got the right kind of things. It only has to cross the road here and back. It's not that far away. But yeah. the enablement is not there within New Zealand. We do the talk, yeah. but we haven't really made it easier for business to sort of say, okay, we adapt to that. We can do all that. And yeah. we should. So, so there's a bit of a gap there. Euron, how do you find you overcome some of these issues? I mean, you obviously battle on, but you've obviously overcome a lot of those issues in some way or shape or form and how got any great examples <laughs> we're, we're battling along i mean sort of uh, there have been some good outcomes but they have been uh, time-wise far in between and the poor nights island was 25 years ago we made it from five percent protection to 100 percent protection but since then, we haven't made a lot of progress. So actually, even though I try to push it in, in as much as I can in every forum that I find myself, I'm actually very unsuccessful, I think, because we haven't got those changes yet. Mm. But I do think that right. the next generation at the moment, and I see that with our clients and with our staff, they're far more um, aware than what my generation used to be. And, and they're far more willing to make some changes. They question things more. So I do have a lot of faith that... With all the people we take out to the poor nights and talk about these issues and show them how it can be done, that some lights start burning and people start saying, hey, yes. And and there's more and more within um, all sorts of organizations and within Maori Dom and, and all around the world, uh, we are making changes. It's a little bit slow. But yeah, so I, I, I take the positives. I haven't got huge, big positives sort of say, oh, this changed and it hasn't quite uh well, well, people would say, yeah, you made a lot of difference, but I, I question it because I'm, I'm probably a little bit, uh, I want to see more. <laughs> yeah, I'm not happy with the little bits we achieve. I'd like to see a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, me yeah. too. Now, you're on, I know you're quite an innovative guy, but how do you make innovation a core part of your business planning and product development process? Oh, look, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's sort of being open to new ideas. Kate, my partner, will tell you that I never stop looking at and and drives her around the bend sometimes. But I see, for example, I see a boat and I think, okay, how can I make it work? What kind of product could I put around it? What would be the market? How could I? And and that's uh, probably in some ways a genetic defect that you sort of look at uh, what is around you all the time. We all have different sort of strengths. I'm not a person that can sit down with a lot of detail and then fill in all the little gaps and uh, cross all the T's and dot all the I's. I'm sort of looking at big picture stuff all the time. And it's the teamwork that makes it all work together. So you need the big ideas and you need the people who can implement it. And innovation is a little bit like that. Crisis and opportunity are the same Chinese sign. Yeah. And so whenever something is happening, there's a lot of opportunities at the moment. In five years time, people say, oh, you know, that COVID period of time, I wish I had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish I saw that mm-hmm. as an opportunity instead of yep. you know, quivering and, and getting away from it and hoping that things would come right. No, no, there are opportunities at the moment. So this got to be 
a little bit brave. You also got to have a good risk appetite. And a lot of people don't have a risk appetite. Mm. You're only here for a little bit of time on this planet. And I'd sort of uh, quite like to uh, yeah, maximize the opportunity. And if you lose something, well, so what? What have you lost? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. when you lose something, don't lose the lesson. Yeah. yeah. And true. then move advice, forward from yeah. that and innovation and doing things different. Uh, it's so much fun because, okay, things go wrong and then you learn something, you learn a lesson, hopefully, and then you try something else. But yeah, there's so many opportunities nonstop because the world is changing. Technology gives a lot of opportunities for a lot of people all the time, but also a state of mind changes. People are starting to appreciate the uh, natural world a lot more than compared with what they used to do. And and of course, mm. David Attenborough has got a lot to answer for in that respect. But <laughs> we start to see you know, far more detail what we've got. And we noticed that with, with diving, with all the GoPros and underwater cameras, when we went from film to digital, suddenly there was so much more. And then people start to see what's there and think, wow, this is yeah. great. And, and when you go diving with a, um, a humpback whale or with a whale shark or with a, a, a tiny little fish, when you can get those experiences and, and show them to other people and stuff like that. And then you start seeing a whole lot of innovation in those kind of areas as well, mm. you know, because you're able to share a lot more. And, and every time when there's a new innovation coming out, uh, they, you can adapt it and, and, and try to increase your product mm-hmm. and, and your product offering to sort of make sure that uh, I'm always buying new stuff for boats and, and, and new dive gear to sort of trial this and trial that and, and we do the same with destinations that come up. We've, we've got um, New Way. Yes. We opened up just before COVID. Wasn't that fantastic? <laughs> but the bluest water on the planet. And, and my staff are over there. And they sort of make sure that all the boats are right. And the whole setup is well organized. So when the borders open, we can operate. But innovation over there, we used over there is to take a lot of the local people out, teach the kids at school mm-hmm. to sort of do a bit more of the uh, in-water activities remove uh, dropella uh, snails from the coral mm-hmm. and make a contribution over there and then we'll get ready but yeah. you can yeah everything you do when it turns challenging around you you can just switch it around a little bit and make it work in another way this innovation sort of you just got to keep your eyes open and mm-hmm. be willing to take a risk and uh, yeah well feel done. In life, yeah well mm. done, yeah I agree with you 100%. So how do you benchmark your business against your own performance and then that of others? How do we benchmark our own performance? Well, we always want to be the best, yeah, all the time. So we're always looking at how can we make the process better, yeah, and and that is staff will contribute to that. Uh, We've got ideas, but we also uh, look around the world all the time, what's happening elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, Pre-COVID, I used to be overseas five times a year to all sorts of places around the world, ostensibly research diving. But uh-huh. you look at other organizations and see how they do it, and you pick up ideas and take it with you. So we benchmark against, uh, through the, this PEDI organization, which we're part of, against all other PEDI organizations worldwide, and that's always worked really well for us. Um, we, we are, in some ways you could say competitive. We want to be the best. We want to deliver we always say uh, we've got an, uh, a world-class environment where we go to. We want to give people a world-class environment to go with that. Right. So we've benchmarked in the past quite a bit with Australia. 
uh, the Great Barrier Reef. But I, I think we sort of, yeah, you got to keep on looking elsewhere because in New Zealand, we haven't got a lot of other companies and organizations within our field that um, where we are at. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that we slack down, but we've got to look further afield. Mm-hmm. Uh, staff as well, we try to um, enrich people more and more and give them opportunities um, to develop further. Like, again, what we did in Norway, we've got an, an ex-staff member who's got a shareholding of the business over there, and, and he can help grow it for himself and for us. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, if you sit down and, and, and don't innovate and don't benchmark and don't try to get better, you stand still and go backwards. Yeah. And probably once you start seeing that, you've got to think of, well, what else do I want to do, really? Mm. But as long as you can be enthusiastic and, 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 and positive about the things you do and the achievements you make and try to make, then it, it flows naturally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing innovation and risk here. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And positivity and optimism. Optimism, you need optimism because otherwise you get too depressed. And I think we're, we're heading in the right direction. I mean, whenever you come up with a solution, other people will question it and say there's another one, but everybody makes their choices. But we are moving forward. And it's a bit frustrating, this whole COVID thing, but I understand where we're going. And the vaccination strategy is a very good one, I think. And hopefully that will result in opening up and getting a bit of trade going in, particularly the tourism and hospitality industry have been, mm. I mean, Michelle, we, we, you know, as a tourism industry, we were the largest export earner in New Zealand. Absolutely. We were, we were motoring yep. and suddenly mm. we're no longer visible. And yep. uh, oh, that's a, a bit of an experience because after all these years, we're trying to push sustainability yeah, and, and sharpen our product offering, et cetera, et cetera. And this happens. Mm. And so we need to start to look a little bit more at regenerative tourism. Yes. And I think that's not a bad thing to do. And there's different ways of doing it. And that can tie in with other industries. And I'm just thinking about, and because we're an aquatic environment, there's different ways of dealing with the fisheries and we can start growing seaweed and we can start eating seaweed, which yeah, in Japan mm. is full of it. We can do it here in New Zealand and be innovative with it mm. and employ local people that can grow it. And it's good for the ocean, good for the CO2. Mm-hmm. There's so many positives to all of that. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. we just need to start focusing on a couple of those kind of things. Because from, if you go over here and, and, and you go out uh, to the poor nights or somewhere else in the marine environment, come back and you sit in a local restaurant and you eat some seaweed with some other things that's sustainably put together, yeah, you start telling a world-class story. Yep. And if our marine life is brimming with life, I mean, what kind of offering have we got worldwide? It's great. It's amazing. So we should yeah. be pushing that a lot more. Yep, yep, definitely. Just when you're talking there about regenerative tourism and COVID taking away our status as the number one export earner, it's hard to believe that it was only 18 months ago we were all sitting around talking about whether tourism still had social license to yep. operate, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And the thing I think the, I'm a little bit yeah. concerned about having the borders closed for so long, I'm still seeing a lot of this chat online going, let's keep our borders closed because we quite like it like this, whereas yeah. it's not sustainable yeah. at all for our industry. But no. there's a lot of the general public in New Zealand, I think, would be quite happy not to invite any visitors well, that, back that, that, to New that, Zealand. That, so, yeah, 
there's some. There will be quite a few people now that sort of start seeing the losses in jobs, yeah, and the impacts. And communities will be like uh, friends, Joseph, you know, them, and oh, yeah. they were ninety-eight uh, percent international. And places like that, they are devastated. And those communities will will know. Look, yeah. the whole social license issue was valid for a couple of places. Yeah. Yeah, um, I always said to people when they um, came up, no, well, what about the socialized? They said, look, we can welcome a lot more visitors, yeah, and, and, and it deals with sustainability and builds more resilient communities, yeah, uh, better careers for people, mm-hmm. not the stop start, and yes. a lot of positivity in all of that. And we've we can learn from that, but and it, it became a bit of a catch cry. Now, who I've got to watch out what I'm saying over here, but maybe some people within the farming industry decided, well, we've had enough of people telling us what to do. How about the tourism industry? Yeah, what about them? And then press picking it up. People like to get into negativity quite easily because it sells, but there's been so much positivity out of the tourism industry for so long. Mm. And we just failed to recognize it. And then just focused on the problems in one or two areas. And then decided it was a problem for tourism. I don't agree. I think we can handle a lot more people. Yep. but we spread them around the country a little bit better. That's right. So, and different times of year. Yeah. Although we were and, doing good at that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, um, um, widening the product range. And okay. here I go again, get that <laughs> marine environment going and people will go and that whole interpretation of that and, and really build a good blue economy around that. Yeah. It's not stopping people from doing things. It's just having different zonations at different areas where people can go fishing and areas where people can not go fishing and it all will end up with more sustainability in the ocean and it will deliver a better product for our domestic and international visitors and a better appreciation rather than having to go and look for something on planet uh, mars somewhere Uh else we actually have got so much good stuff and we lost so much we are aware of it now we weren't beforehand let's just make sure that we retain and rebuild now, Yaron, I know that you've dabbled in politics up there. I think you've just put a pretty good case forward for you to be our next Minister of Tourism, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, nah. I, I've got one more question before yeah. we finish up. When you look back on this award and you're reflecting on the innovation and resilience that you've undertaken over these past 12 to 18 months, what are you most proud of? Well, well, I'm very proud that we sort of came through as well as we did because uh, yeah. I've seen a lot of other businesses really uh, having a hard time, a really hard time. I really feel for them. Uh, it's a very stressful time. It's getting out on the other side and still having a laugh. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, And, whoa, you know, gosh, that was a ride. And understanding that we've been very fortunate and we have a market close by and we managed to sort of adjust a little bit to that market and do reasonably okay. It's a developing scene. It's not something that stops. You have to keep on readjusting, be innovative, and things are still changing. So you can't just say, oh, we made these changes, they work well, because for next year they might not work. Mm. The world is changing so fast. So you've got to be on top of that. And having that, what's the best out of this? Well, having that recognition that we did a pretty bloody good job in coping with some circumstances that, weren't particularly predictable and positive for our business. Yeah, um, We retained our staff, our community, and our focus on what we stand for, mm-hmm. and we're surviving. 
hopefully one day we'll be thriving again. But we'll get through this and we can now start to see sensibly a light at the end of the tunnel. And hopefully the more we work on celebrating the positivity within tourism with all the different entries, starting to see again from, hey, we are still resilient as an industry. Mm-hmm. We've, we've still got plenty of winners where we have to choose out of. We've got finalists yep. and we move forward together as an industry that actually is picking up its pieces and getting to the other side and will be ready to roll out again and be number one again in New Zealand. So we haven't lost the plot. (laughs) We are a resilient bunch and we move forward in a positive way. So that understanding of the industry still being there for, and and I want to say that the the TIA and all those organisations that have been working really hard with high pressures as well, keeping the uh, tourism Olympic flame well and truly alive. And mm-hmm. we're going to get there. Yeah. 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 I say amen to that. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous way to end our mm-hmm. chat today, I have to say. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. And I'm sure everybody will really enjoy hearing your insights and ideas and just a little bit more about Dive Tutakaka. And congratulations on the finalist nomination and all the best for the awards in November. And hopefully you and Kate have a wonderful evening and we look forward to hearing all about it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity and thank you so much for putting this all together because what I find one of the biggest strengths in tourism is communicating with each other about positive things that are happening. Yeah. And the two of you are enabling this really, really well. And thank you for your efforts to keep it all together and providing the platform for the industry so to keep on ticking in challenging times. Well, so good on, good on, good on you. Thank you. Thank you.